0: UMGoBlue.com, by fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with...
1: Clint Derringer.
0: And no matter how close that game was and how scary it was and how many bullets Michigan dodged, they are still 6-0 and undefeated after triumphing on the road by a score of 32-29 over the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Well, Clint, what would you think about that one?
1: Well, it was, you know, to be, you know, first and foremost completely blunt, it was, it was much closer than I expected, right? I, I expected Michigan to win by two or three scores, and I think a, a big part of that uh, gap between what I expected and what we saw was was mostly Nebraska playing better than I expected, right? Nebraska that was much more the Nebraska team that we saw really explode offensively against Northwestern as opposed to the, uh, you know, the the discombobulation that we saw when uh, Nebraska took on Michigan state in East Lansing. So I thought that they played uh, very well. It's definitely in my opinion, uh, head and shoulders, the best offense that Michigan has faced thus far. And, um, and I think that showed. I think they, they exploited Michigan's defense a little bit more than, than what these other teams were capable of doing. Um, but with all of that said, uh, it, it ended up circling back to something that you and I have been really calling out and highlighting to the point, to the extent that we could through the first five games, is that Michigan really still needed to, to weather the storm and get through one of those gut check type games especially on the road, Um, and that there were still those questions that existed for some folks uh, after the road game in Madison with Wisconsin not being as good as as previously expected. And and I think this night game atmosphere with Nebraska backed into a corner, their program's backed into a corner, Scott Frost is backed into a corner. You really, really took Nebraska's best shot in that game in a hostile environment uh, at night. And, and whether the storm and came out with a victory, and there's a lot of value in that, you know, and we'll, we'll talk details and X's and O's, decision making and execution. But, uh, just from a high level, you know, to really get through one of those battles and, and come out the other side, still 6 0, um, really needs to be celebrated, I think, um, by this Michigan fan base and, and appreciating what the coaches and players have accomplished, um, since August.
0: So I very rarely do this. I, a matter of fact, I can't remember the last time I did this. But I want to um, just give a shout out to Adrian Martinez, the Nebraska quarterback. Um, what a performance! Gutsy. He did everything he could to um, pull the Cornhuskers to victory, and you know it's one of those things where, you know, I very rarely feel bad for an opponent because you know i'm I'm pulling for Michigan uh, but I love football and I love when players go and leave it out out leave it all out on the field and you know it, it's a shame that what many people will remember about Adrian Martinez was that late turnover in the game that allowed Michigan to kick the winning field goal but again I just want to you know cite him tip my hat what an amazing performance. Um, now, um, on to Michigan. You know, it's interesting that you have, you know, you mentioned, you know, questions among the fan base. You have a team that is and 6-0, undefeated, just came off of two road games and, you know, a place where the team over the last, gosh, 10 years have struggled going on the road, right? Went up to Wisconsin and, and put a beat down on them. And in a way, I think you almost flip these games, right? I expected Wisconsin to be the tough game and this to be the easy game. And, man, that night game atmosphere going into Lincoln definitely was uh, was just a, a buzzsaw that was waiting to happen. And, you know, I, I think uh, you want to look at what happened where Michigan really left some points on the field in the first half should have been leading more, you know, heading into halftime, and you know it. It struck me. I'm watching it. I'm like, you know, this is the kind of game you're leaving them. You're letting them hang around, and and you don't know what's going to happen. They're going to go into the half and make adjustments, and boy, uh, did uh, did Nebraska come out? And again, this was night and day. You could almost say that the first half was a little boring, and uh, you know. Nebraska comes out and just, you know, drops 22 points in the third quarter and just shreds the Michigan defense, Uh, you know, something that we really haven't seen too many times this year. And, you know, kudos to the Wolverines for having the um, intestinal fortitude to not fold there at the end and, you know, to keep putting pressure on. And, again, you know, winning the game 32 to 19 and – You know, it's interesting because, you know, there are some people who um, are still, you know, despite the victory, despite all the positive things, looking at the negatives. And I think that you really need to look at both. And, um, you know, I I guess I was surprised on one hand, you know, I think I'm really happy that Michigan dodged a bullet and definitely was sweating it out. And when I looked at the um, statistics after the game, you know, there are a lot of real bright spots. And, again, the brightest spot is they were able to pull off a victory.
1: Yeah, of course. You know, that's the the name of the game, of course, is uh, survive in advance and, and win the game. Put it in the W column and, and, and move on. You know, but, um, you know, your point is well taken about, uh, first of all, again, crediting, you know, Nebraska, their staff, and, and their players. You know, but um, that third quarter – what um, for the first time this season, well, really the second time, I would say the second time in or the second half in the Rutgers game, that staff kind of identified where Michigan had a weakness after Josh Ross was out with injury and then exploited it uh, and exploited Michigan's defense and their, their weakness. But this time was a little bit different, number one, because Josh Ross was not injured, right? So that that Michigan defense was really – pretty much at its full strength from a personnel standpoint uh and then also i think nebraska is just that much more talented you know number one at the quarterback position with adrian martinez as opposed to vedril for for rutgers right and then on the outside and up front so um that that was a very similar uh narrative or a very similar arc to that rutgers game um in the second half, but, but Nebraska could really explode for quick scores. You know, they had a couple, um, a couple situations where the ball turned over and they had a short field and they scored in one play, right? Just boom, right. Immediately, you know, it kind of felt like a, a mortal Kombat, you know, 10 hit combo and it just kept coming and, and Michigan needed to come up there. So, um, that, that offense that Scott Frost has really, can make you defend every corner of the field vertically and horizontally. And they uh, exploited the younger linebackers again um, in the passing game. And, and that is definitely not what I would have expected. I would have expected if Michigan or if Nebraska had played that well, you know, if you had told me that it was going to be a three point game and Nebraska was going to score 29 points, I would have thought then, well, the Adrian Martinez probably rushed for, 200 yards right and uh really they, they put the ball in the air and were able to exploit michigan's linebackers for the most part um in the passing game so i i am sure that there's there's a lot of film study and review being done in that linebacker room um over the bye week and uh it will be you know it'll be the the, the leading edge of what needs to improve the most coming out of this game after celebrating a great victory.
0: So the other thing that kind of, um, that we've seen, right, I think that Michigan is blessed with two incredible running backs, right? And, you know, the way things were lining up, you know, we talked about boom and zoom, right? I would say the way the first couple games broke out, you know, I, I was expecting Blake Corum to be, in the Heisman discussion at this point, right? And not that Hassan Hoskins was, um, you know, uh, was, let's see, the backup, right? Uh, I mean, but Blake Corum had shown more um, explosiveness in the first couple games. And it's just amazing that they complement each other so well. And, you know, Hassan Hoskins just, just was incredible. And I mean... Highlighted by that incredible leaping hurdle on that, on that 50 yard run. And, and I'll tell you, yeah. it's one of the only times that in recent history that I remember watching a Michigan game saying, run more, run more, right? Like I, I really was calling for coach Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis to feed Haskins the ball more in the second half, not less, as opposed to normally, um, When things are tight, I want to open up the offense and and attack downfield. So just, you know, but what's interesting is when you look at the stats, right, Haskins ran for 123 yards and Coram ran for 89. That's not chopped liver. I mean, that's really, you know, Michigan had over 232 yards on the ground. And for me, when I think back to where we were the last couple years where the running game was kind of stalled, um, it's amazing to me to see that, you know, here we have two backs that, um, you know, one's 123 yards, one's 89. Just, you know, that two backs that complement each other. And, you know, even looking at Cade McNamara, um, again, there's there's the people who are, are screaming for his head and screaming for J.J. McCarthy to take over the starting position. You know, uh, McNamara threw for 255 yards, right? And again, you look at it, and you know, could he be better? Sure, everybody could be better. But I, I keep, you know, wanting to focus on. Gosh, we're six and zero, um, and you know, it, I think it's um, interesting that, and, and I think it's kind of a residue of how tough things have been the last couple years. That um, I don't know if the if the fan base knows how to deal with success at this point, right? It's it's they want to nitpick everything. And look at all, think about all the things that could have gone wrong, rather than focusing on the things that went right. And that Michigan is heading into the bye week undefeated. And I, I got to tell you, I didn't see that heading into this season. I don't think that you did. And and again, you, know, you mentioned you thought Michigan was going to win by two or three scores. You know, I had adjusted my prediction that it was going to be a blowout. And watching the first half, I, I kind of thought it still might be. And man, mm-hmm. Nebraska just stood up in that mm-hmm. in that second half, and you got to give them credit. You know, it's it's uh, it's not all mistakes on Michigan's part. You know, there are two teams out there trying to do their best, and Nebraska looked really dangerous in that third quarter.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. And then offensively, I wanted to really, you know, just appreciate the luxury that uh, we've got as Michigan fans of really solid depth on the offensive line. You know, they, I, there were at least four and I think five different guards that played on the interior of that offensive line through the game. I know, uh, Zach Center has been battling an injury. Um, Trevor Keegan's been battling an, in, an injury. Chuck Filiaga played both positions, I'm pretty sure. We saw Reese Atterbury in there. Um, and Carson Barnhart in there. So I, I, five different guards at different times played, um, those positions to have that kind of depth and still have the success that you're talking about, you know, with Coram and Haskins, um, both breaking big runs, uh, in the second half that helped put the game, you know, put the game away, you know, uh, Coram's touchdown, 29 yard touchdown, uh, to the outside was huge, was a huge play to answer, um, that kind of 10 hit combo that I had mentioned before from Nebraska when it was just a barrage and, and uh, that 29 yard run was the capper on a 75 yard drive to answer. So, really, all of the intestinal fortitude and, and, and the positive uh, vibes that we're talking about from Michigan's side, um, you, you really, it starts almost as always with a football team up front on offense. And that, that offensive line, keeping it together with that many guys going down hurt and uh, new guys coming in and staying consistent. And specifically, one, one other guy I would point to if if anybody out there is going to rewatch, keep your eyes on the right tackle Andrew Stuber. There's a reason that they were running to the right uh, late in the game, and Stuber absolutely played a monster game in the second half, and he he really stood up and provided some leadership and guidance, you know, for those guys that were kind of rotating through there at the guard positions. You know, Vistardis and Stuber, two uh, fifth-year or sixth-year senior guys, you know, really led by example and and pulled Michigan's offense through there and, and, and were kind of the rock that anchored the whole program to, to weather the storm and, and get out of Lincoln with a victory.
0: You know, I want to give a shout-out to Coach Sharon Moore, right, the offensive line co-offensive coordinator. There were a lot of questions coming into this season about why did Michigan make the change in coaching on the offensive line and um you know how successful he was going to be and in the run up to the season and and even during the season we heard from coach Harbaugh saying you know we have a number of offensive linemen we can rotate them in we can At we can eight. we can go we're very deep right mm-hmm. and the skeptic in me says Yeah, okay, that just means you haven't had five guys grab the jobs, right? I mean, that's, you know, and again, I I will admit to being kind of shell-shocked from the last couple years as well. So when I heard, yeah, we have all these different offensive linemen and they're interchangeable and they can, you know, it's just next man up, I was like, oh, great, that just means that, you know, nobody has really set themselves apart. Well, what we saw versus Nebraska was the proof in the pudding, right? Right. Next guy up, next guy up, and it was interesting because you heard the commentator saying, "Oh man, Michigan's boy, they're hurting on the offensive line," and it really was. Well, we get to we get to see if um, they're, they're as deep as they said, and the answer is yes. Now, you know, it's it, it's not a bottomless pit. I mean, you're you're at some point, you know, you're um, you know, and I always think back, like you said, if Stuber were to get hurt or you were to lose a center. But it really looks like that Coach Sharon Moore has been able to coach these guys up. And, you know, I, I don't think that people um, completely understand the difference between what a guard does and what a tackle does and how important it is for if you're going to swap a guy in and out for them to understand exactly what the roles are. And, and again, let let's also call out, you know, you had – the Nebraska defense pulling all kinds of shenanigans to uh, to disrupt the offense. They were playing at a night game. The crowd was loud. Um, there were some questions there on exactly, you know, on, you know, the offensive line. The offensive line will communicate with each other. Even when they're up in the line, they will talk to each other. They'll, they'll, you know, talk. And it being that loud made it very difficult. So, I think what they did, um, you know, again, you called out uh, for people to watch the the game film. I would say if you want to uh, really observe an offensive line uh, just performing at a very high level, when I rewatched the game, I I was really impressed. So, again, kudos to the offensive linemen and kudos to, to Coach Moore.
1: Yeah, and and one last uh, note there with uh, the comparison with what Coach Moore is doing this year. You and I, like I said, we had many offline conversations in the off season about what what it meant. You know, why were they moving on from Ed Warner, and and was it was it pro Sharon Moore, or was it a, a bad mark against Warner, or what's going on? And interesting to compare before and after. So if I'm going to use 2019 as a comparison, right? And remember, there were four. Uh, linemen on that 2019, um, unit that went into the NFL draft. The only one that didn't, um, was drafted after the 2020 season, Jalen Mayfield. You know, the other three guys in that 2019 offensive line all went in the 2020, uh, NFL draft. And when I compare the, uh, the expected points ad- added, right, which is basically the, the number value of the play that you run based on how you improved your position on the field right now the 21 team with garbage time removed is adding you know 0.295 points per play 295 compare that to 0.092 0.092 is what that uh line with five nfl players four in the in that exact draft uh cranked out in 2019 and that was a loaded running back room from a talent standpoint also right that they had charbonnet as a freshman and you still like Chris Evans right and um so really it the, the numbers don't lie the the running game is better this year than it has been in years past and i'm not using the the crazy covid year as my my baseline i'm going back to a very solid offense um in 2019 so really uh, uh Sharone Moore deserves a, a, a an absolute boatload of credit. Uh Josh Gaddis also, right, they're doing a lot of good things, um, schematically to try to uh uh throw change ups in the run game. You know, a lot of times it looks like they're running the same play up the gut, so to speak. Um, but they are really changing the blocking schemes and, and adapting against multiple fronts. And uh it's been it's been really solid and there's still room to grow. Um I think the quarterback run game and, and how they're trying to try use J.J. McCarthy going forward is another wrinkle that really is going to help the run game so that that backside defensive end has to uh, respect the quarterback's ability to run. And uh, that's only going to help. And, and I think the last big point I would say as we're kind of peeking over the hill here at the back half of the schedule is that I think that Michigan may have just played the two best defenses um that are on their schedule it, you could make an argument for penn state they are certainly a really really good defense um probably not as good against the run as wisconsin and uh and, and i would argue that nebraska is pretty pretty solid too so um michigan has shown that they have the ability to to still be successful against these very good defenses and there's, there's a lot of credit that needs to be, to be given to the players and to the coaches for that. And I'm, I'm excited to see how they meet the next challenge. You know, there's some big, big challenges on the back half of their schedule. So 6-0 and is great, you know, um, but uh, there's, there's some pretty big challenges ahead, and I'm, I'm excited to see how this team kind of uh, tackles those.
0: So we've talked about the good. Michigan is undefeated, 6-0. and a rising program, a rising power again, uh, back to being ranked in the top 10. But, you know, as I like to say, you know, the same way that I thought after the Rutgers game, there were some warning lights on the dashboard. There are definitely some warning lights on the dashboard of of this undefeated team. And again, I'd much rather be talking about questions and concerns being undefeated than, uh, you know, I think about what it's like over on the other side of the field right now with Nebraska being three and four and one and three in the big 10. I, I, I would, uh, I'd much rather be talking about issues with a six and O team than trying to dress up a three and four team. Um, so again, what was interesting to me is that, um, you know, uh, again, and I, and I, I want to compare this to, to the Rutgers game that, um, a Michigan defense was pretty dominant in the first half and and again as you mentioned at that game um they had an injury you know Josh Ross went out and I was thinking as I was watching this second half going man what's the excuse today right um and again Nebraska came in dialed up an attack and uh definitely um you know exposed it but 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 what's interesting is that again yeah, they scored 22 points in the third quarter, but then Michigan made adjustments and and Nebraska scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter, right? So what's interesting to me is there's definitely some warning lights on the defense. Um, I am not as defensive savvy as you are. Um, I want to go back and and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this game a lot over the next. You know, we have the bye week coming up, so have some extra time. So. I have some questions about exactly um you know how Nebraska was able to attack Michigan exactly um what teams further down the schedule can replicate that attack and the concern I have is that um as well as Nebraska played I don't think they're the most talented team in the Big 10 um you know maybe the top half of the Big 10 so there're definitely some uh some talented teams coming down the road who are going to break down this game film and and look for different ways to attack Michigan. You know the other thing that that I came back to was as as much as um, you know I'm a fan of Cade McNamara, there were there were a few there were passes we just missed right, um, a couple passes and and again you're you're never going to be perfect. There's no quarterback who's perfect, but I think that um, you know he's either really close to being a dominant quarterback or we're really close to understanding that this is what we have. Right. And, and I, I don't, I don't think that he's done as a player yet. I believe that um, he does have the skill to reach a, another level, but um, I haven't seen that yet. And, and I, I guess I, I don't mean that as a criticism, just more as an observation.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think that, that both of those points are, are certainly very well put. First with the defense. Um, again, I think it's youth at the linebacker level, number one. Um, Junior Colson and Nakai Hill Green are really, really playing well, but they're learning on the job, right? Both of those guys, not only are they young in terms of being freshmen and redshirt freshmen, but did not get, you know, Junior Colson was playing high school football this time last year and Nakai Hill Green did not uh, get a lot of meaningful reps last year, even uh, with the struggles that this defense had uh, in 2020. So those guys are very, very much right now learning on the job. And and the the parallels that I mentioned earlier with with Rutgers kind of attacking those guys, uh, using the read option in the quarterback, uh, Nebraska instead of using the read option as, as I thought that they would try to duplicate uh, what they did was use tight ends and running backs in the passing game to uh, to try to create coverage problems for those linebackers, right? So um, as as you're rewatching, you'll you'll see that right on their big plays. Um, you know, rewind for the guy who ended up getting the ball, see where he started, and then watch the first couple steps of the linebacker who ends up the closest to him. He he probably took a couple steps in the wrong direction at the start of the play for different reasons. Right. And, and again, I chalk it up right now to youth uh, and, and lack of experience. So I expect them to keep getting better on the, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Cade McNamara definitely is, is still missing some throws. Um, I think a big part of that is he errs on the side of caution, right? He, 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 uh, I would make the comparison to, to kind of a savvy golfer, right? He knows where to miss. <laughs> so so yeah, it'd be great if you hit it right down the middle in the fairway all the time. But you know, missing left might be, you know, water and missing right is a little safer. He he tends to err on the safer side of the miss, right? He he misses out of bounds, he misses short, right? Where where the on the deep balls he misses short rather than long more often than not, um, so that the receiver still has the a chance. So To me, he kind of manages his misses in terms of the mechanics of actually throwing the ball. Um, and his strength is, is reading the defense before the snap, right? Using motions and other things to kind of understand what he's looking at, make sure that they're in, that they've got the right play call and the right protection. I think that's his main advantage right now over JJ McCarthy. And it's why he'll continue to be the starter as long as he's playing well, in my opinion. But where he needs to continue to grow, just like those linebackers, are the post snap reads, right? There, however, the the quarterback coach Matt Weiss and Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis are teaching him to go through his progressions in the passing game, right? It seems like he either doesn't get off of his first read or makes a makes some poor reads, uh, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. Um, when when he is decisive. Uh, He delivers the ball and things are fine, but his biggest opportunity for growth um, certainly is in processing the information from receiving the snap of the ball, getting his feet kind of set, you know, where he wants to throw the ball, and and making a decision um, that involves more than just his first main target receiver. So we will see him continue to uh, to grow, right? Because that's something that you get better at with repetition. So I think the Cade McNamara after the bye week is going to be significantly improved from what we've seen. And I, I tend to agree with you that McNamara has been solid, right? Solid. I think you'll take that, you know, one one particular turnover in six games, the the interception in this game was his first, right? Uh, He's only been sacked one time also in this game. So he's, He's doing a lot of things right that don't necessarily fill up the box score. He's made some big throws down the field. He's been you know, better than average on deep throws. And I think he will continue to get better uh, in the passing game. And he has shown some really strong leadership traits that I think are, are invaluable with, uh, with what this team needs right now.
0: I think the um, thing that people need to understand is that when – The game was in doubt in that fourth quarter. If Jim Harbaugh had any doubts about Cade McNamara, we would have seen J.J. McCarthy more. And I remember as I was watching the game, I'm like, well, we're going to find out who has Harbaugh's confidence. And it's very clearly Cade McNamara. Now, I believe, and again, I've been going back and forth on, you know, can I make a really strong argument that you need to completely ignore J.J. Uh, McCarthy. No, I can't do that, right? That's why I said I think that Cade McNamara is, uh, is a work in progress. But, man, it's not a bad work. And, and I think that, um, you know, among the fandom, the, uh, the most popular player on the team is always the second-string quarterback.
1: Mm-hmm. And you
0: can understand that when the team's losing. But gosh darn it, people, the team's winning right i just i sit here and i'm like you know uh i think uh especially in the michigan area um it's hard to ignore the impact that uh the lions have the, the nfl detroit lions right and you look at it and you're like well yeah but this team is 6 and 0 and uh i'd much rather have some you know have some things that our quarterback needs to work on than mm-hmm. you know having a number of losses right mm-hmm. and um again i i just uh I'm, you know, I was driving around today and I was listening to talk rodeo and it seems to be the foregone conclusion among, um, now there, there are people who just want to stir up controversy, Detroit free press. (coughs) Um, and then there are other more, um, balanced, um, commentators, right? And I, Mm -hmm. am surprised at how many people who are usually pretty balanced, who it seems to be a foregone conclusion that if Michigan is going to have a stellar season, that the author of that season will have to be J.J. McCarthy, right? And and I, I, just, I just don't see that right now. Do I have questions? Sure. Um, I have questions about J.J. McCarthy, right? And again, uh, it's not a criticism of either McCarthy um, or McNamara, but I haven't seen enough that I'm ready to write off McNamara and I haven't seen enough to know that McCarthy is the definite answer. And I I think it's kind of an injustice to both. Um, I I think, you know, I always come back to that, um, you know, the coaches see these guys in practice every day, right? Mm -hmm. They have been with these guys for, you know, for in McNamara's case, you know, solid two seasons here watching them day in and day out practicing. And I think, that one of the things that you know kind of gets lost in the wash um coach harbaugh talked about this right talked about that the team got back from the wisconsin game got back to sean hall and mcnamara went out and was and was working throwing passes okay the guy works okay and i think it's that kind of work and dedication that we don't necessarily see and um you know I don't think this team's divided. I think they support both guys. They want what's best. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, I don't think that Coach Harbaugh is so stubborn and so bullheaded that you have, you know, uh, a pro bowl, a pro bowl first round draft pick in McCarthy and he's not sitting, he's sitting him and not playing him just because, you know, he's decided that's not the case. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, I think you have a certain amount of just, of just churn among the fandom that part of it is normal and and there's a certain part of it that I think is a little unwarranted at this point
1: yeah and a couple couple thoughts in, in response to those and number one you know it, it, Jim Harbaugh has you know plenty of faults and and is certainly you know not beyond reproach or, or criticism by any means but if anything he has shown the ability to 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 be uh, open to criticism uh, from within his staff and, and make changes where they're necessary it, it, from all directions uh, in this program and in his previous programs, right? In the NFL, right? He made, he made the switch from Alex Smith to to Colin Kaepernick in the middle of a playoff run, right? He he's, he's moved from a successful quarterback to another successful quarterback because he thought it gave him a better chance. If he thought that, that JJ McCarthy, as, a, you know, if flipping the number of snaps for those two guys right now gave them a better chance to win, I think that Harbaugh would do it. It's not outside of the realm of possibility that that happens, right? But, you know, to to think that there's anything else going on other than the, the guy that's got the best opportunity to lead the team to victory is playing, you know, we have not seen that from Harbaugh. That's what he says he does, and and, and I have no reason not to believe what the guy says, you know, point blank. Uh, In terms of Cade McNamara, uh, another thing that we have to remember is that, to my memory, he only started one game last year, Penn State, and got hurt. Couldn't finish that game, right? He came in in the middle of the Rutgers game before that, you know, played very well, earned the starting job from Joe Milton, and then got hurt, and then Michigan didn't play again after that Penn State game. So... That, you know, by my count, one last year and six this year, that's seven starts for Cade McNamara. That's not a ton of experience. You know, his first two starts on the road were these last two weeks. I think you're he's still on the, the steep end of his learning curve um, as a quarterback. So what he is right now is not what he's going to be in another six weeks, right? He's going to continue to improve, right? And I think that if he's are doing these other things well – then you give them the chance to continue improving and, and and closing up some of these gaps that we're talking about, right? And then the last thing uh, I'll say about the quarterbacks is, is what McNamara does well, right, um, with reading pre-snap coverages and alignments and, and getting the line into their protection and getting the, the offense into the right play, where Cade McNamara does have a, a great... Um, advantage over J.J. McCarthy is in practice reps because Cade McNamara has been with the program for now in his third year, right? And McCarthy has been here since the, you know, uh, an early enrollee in January. So those practice reps where Cade McNamara has been either running the, the scout team against Michigan's defense early in his career, I'm sure, reading a defense, having to make calls, having to make adjustments, right? Or being the backup last year, getting Back up snaps in practice and eventually taking over, you know, he, he, the things that he's good at pre-snap, J.J. McCarthy will also continue to grow and get better over time. But I do not believe that right now um, the offense would run quite as smoothly with J.J., even though he has more arm talent and has shown a penchant for, for throwing the ball a little bit better than, than Cade McNamara has. You know, there are other things that a quarterback is responsible for other than throwing the ball really far and dropping it in the bucket. Those are nice, and they are certainly important, right? But there are a lot of other every-snap um, important responsibilities that I think Kate McNamara is very solid on. It's going to be hugely valuable to get J.J. McCarthy involved the way they have in this quarterback run game. They're going to add more pass plays for J.J. McCarthy coming off of that read option, and, and those repetitions are going to be hugely valuable, for the team in this season and for J.J. McCarthy in future seasons. And I, I trust that Harbaugh will continue to put the guy that gives them the best chance to win behind center um, in the games going forward, right? That's There's no reason to believe that there's any other strange dynamic going on, right? That's the simplest answer. Um, until somebody can prove otherwise, that's what I believe.
0: You know, and, and Clint, you make a great point, right? There's lots of other things than just how far you can throw the ball or how fast you are. And, you know, you can look no further than the NFL combine, right? Um, quarterbacks go in there, they're measured how fast they can run, how far they can throw, what kind of different throws they can they can make. And, you know, it's still an exact science, right? There are lots of other things that you can't measure, intangible th- and I'm not bagging on J.J. McCarthy. I'm not. You know, he is a highly regarded quarterback talent. Um, I think he's going to have a great career at Michigan. Um, this is directed at the people who see a few plays. And, um, um, and again, it's all opinion, right? But the, when you deliver it as it's a fact, right? Well, obviously, um, you know, if Michigan's going to be super successful you know, McCarthy is going to have to take over the offense. Well, maybe, maybe, right? But I'll tell you, there's no quicker way for a coach to lose a team than if McCarthy was lighting up practice every day and McNamara wasn't, you know, that's how a coach loses a team. We're not hearing that, okay? And, again, I think that one thing that I think Coach Harbaugh has shown growth in is that he wasn't – prone to give the backup quarterback a lot of reps his first couple years here, and I think that it it hurt Michigan, okay? So I think that it's great that they're both, in. if something were to happen to one or the other, I have confidence that uh, the other could do well, and again, it's, it's just, you know, I kind of feel the same way about boom and zoom, you know, Hassan, Haskins, and uh, Blake Corum. Gosh, I'm glad we have both, but if we only had one, we'd still be in, we'd still be in pretty good shape, right? So, so Clint, here we are, you know, I like to do these quarterly checkups. We're halfway through the season. Michigan is undefeated. I know that I did not expect us to be undefeated at this point. Um, I, I expected Michigan to have two losses and to be bruised and battered, but, but, uh, rising from the canvas to, to hopefully put together a strong back end of the season. Here we are undefeated. It's a great place to be. What are your thoughts on this team as we head into the bye week?
1: Well, I, I still think that the defense is ahead of schedule from, from what I expected, and that that is the biggest difference with where I thought they would be. I thought they'd be 4-2, and two, somewhere in that range, um at this point and the reason that they are they are where they are is because of the defensive staff doing a great job installing and teaching the defensive system and and the kids going out there and executing it so that's the biggest difference i think for me um and then closely followed by number two uh the success of sharon moore that we talked about with the offensive line and that run game so I, I, obviously, I'm, I'm extremely happy with, with what we're seeing. There are still major rooms, uh, you know, gaps for improvement. Um, and, and then looking forward into the third quarter of the season, so to speak. Um, I don't think, I, I certainly didn't expect the showdown in East Lansing to be, uh, quite the heavyweight matchup that it's starting to take shape. Um, but, uh, there's no reason that I, that I would expect Michigan not to be able to make that road trip and win that game in a hostile environment. You know, I think that there's a certain level of payback that's due there. I, the emotions are going to run high anyway. Um, but that's going to be a true, you know, old fashioned slobber knocker. If, uh, if things continue to go on the trend they're on and both Michigan and Michigan state are, uh, you know, are undefeated or even just one loss on either side, that's going to be a real Titanic matchup. So, really we will learn again a little bit more about michigan and this program and and we will know more about them on the first of november um and whether they've they've made that next step they did the bounce back right i I would say that we're solidly back at the level that harbaugh had the program pre-covid in 2019 and maybe in the 2018 season that's that's about where it feels like the program is. So then the, the questions come back that were valid in 2018 and 2019. Can they take that next step and and be a true contender to, to win the Big Ten East and, and beat the team in Columbus and, and get to the Big Ten title game? That's um, That's what the outlook for the season is. You know, that's always the standard for the program, but now it's a – I think it's a realistic question to ask and and to start trying to really pull apart the information that we have and see um, whether that's realistic uh, to expect that to happen or not.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, we couldn't have projected this. Um, I thought Michigan would have two losses as well. Um, I agree with you there and I'm happy to be wrong. You know, we're heading into the bye week and, you know, again, This month is critical. We had the two away games, Wisconsin and um, Nebraska, and it ends with an away game at Michigan State. And like you said, I don't think anybody would have predicted. You know, I wonder um, what's the biggest surprise, Michigan being undefeated in the conference or Michigan State? And I'd have to say Michigan State, right? I mean, they have really bounced back um, you know they announced themselves last year with that win over Michigan that we thought was really fluky, but when you look at how the program has come together, um, looks like they're definitely definitely on the rise and uh, it looks like if both teams can keep it together, um, you know you're going to have two top ten teams nationally ranked heading into East Lansing and again, not only will it be Will have the attention the eyes of of michigan on that game but the eyes of the nation and it will be an opportunity for one program or the other to announce themselves so um definitely uh i'm glad to see i think michigan is ahead of schedule and um you know looking forward to it so i think that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with
1: Clint Deringer.
0: Go Blue! Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!